There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. I have spent over four decades working in the game of hockey, fortunate enough to meet some of the incredible names of the game. Saw them come into the league, watch them shine the game, and now they've moved on to life after the game. The 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some great stories, and relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to today. Today's guest is a Stanley Cup champion with the Anaheim Ducks back in 2007. A bit of a brainiac who played his U.S. college hockey in Princeton. Since retiring, though, he has challenged his uh, work experience into a career as the Senior Vice President of Player Safety for the National Hockey League. So pleased to welcome the show, Mr. George Barrows. How are you, my friend? Great to catch up with you again. Very well, Gino. How are you doing? I'm really good. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say... Hey, dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. George, it's so funny because I've had uh, two constant experiences with you. George, the player, who was an enforcer, we'll get to all that kind of stuff, and now... Uh, whenever I go to the NHL Board of Governors meetings, it's a regular for me. You and I kind of see each other in the halls, and there's this whole different George, all done up in his suits and the the mustache and beard trimmed nicely. What's that transition been like for you? Well, you can't forget the uh, stage where I was uh, a broadcaster with yourself. You know, we shared uh-huh. some time together. So those yeah, were, we were teammates near near and dear to my heart. Come on, Gino. <laughs> and I think that I still have the mustache back then, too. Like we were the dueling bros for November. I think you were workshopping it. You had kind of been on and off the fence. So, <laughs> yeah. You know why, brother? Because my mustache is so gray now. It takes like uh, about six months to come out. And then they start saying, oh, man, we should color it. And I'm like, you know what? If you got to do that, then clearly I'm out of my league. No, you know what? I've never been a fan of uh, of the dyes. You know, no. I grow grow what you got and be proud of it. I, you know, I welcome the grays when they come. Hopefully they come and hopefully the hair stay on my head. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, listen, I'm really, really happy for you uh, with the whole transition that's worked so well for you. And uh, listen, no one holds a position like that without creating some controversy. But then, you know, if you're creating controversy, that you must be doing the right thing because if one side's not upset with you, then you're not. Let's we'll get to the, your career now in a few minutes, but I want to I want to get back to the way it all started for you in the NHL. You made your debut. You were drafted by the LA Kings. You made your debut back in 2005, and two weeks into your career, you had the Gordie Howe hat trick. Was that your welcome to the NHL moment? Uh, you know, honestly, I think just stepping on the ice for the first time was a welcome to the NHL moment. Uh, you know, you wait wait your whole life for something like that and hope it can happen. Uh, so those those first couple strides over the bench, I think, is certainly uh, something that that sticks in your mind. But yeah, absolutely, having having uh, you know an impact on a game like that in that manner was certainly a, a feather in the cap early on. So it was, it was a good start. 
I'll tell you something that I always found very intriguing. And whenever I share your story with people, they always go, seriously, really? That you went to Princeton. I mean, you can't just go to Princeton and have a good hockey player take me to Princeton. You got to have the marks to get into an Ivy League school like that. What, like, at what point did you realize you were actually an Ivy League capable student? Forget the hockey aside for a second, where you realized, holy crap, I might be able to go to Princeton here. I, um, you know, I, I went to a, a high school that challenged us, uh, a really good school called Del Barton in New Jersey, um, you know, kind of high caliber and, and prepped us really well for the college kind of academic life. So I, I was doing pretty good in high school. My grades were good. And I guess I kind of started noticing that, uh, you know, as I continued to play some uh, higher level hockey uh, just in the state of New Jersey, but having those good grades, I started to get a couple uh, letters in the mail and they were all from, you know, the Ivy League types of schools and, and Northeastern schools. Uh, and so kind of felt early on that, that was the niche I was going down because, you know, I, w- I didn't go away. Anybody who was uh, really uh, top of the class in New Jersey that was uh, on the ice, you know, they went away to prep school and stuff like that. And that, that wasn't really the path for me. Um, so I stuck around there and, and you know, had good grades and, and played pretty good hockey. And so I started to get some interest in the Ivy League types of schools and, uh, and with Princeton, it worked out really well. And you graduated with a major in economics. Was that always a big interest of yourself? Yeah, you know, I um, <clears throat> when uh, when I committed to Princeton, they told me to go away for a year because they had a big freshman class coming in my natural freshman year. So yeah. that's the only reason I went to play junior hockey. <clears throat> I hadn't hadn't really thought of it before. I was planning on going right to Princeton, but um, it was a pretty good. Uh, consideration for me back then because it would allow me to kind of come into a smaller class and get some more playing time. So uh, when I was in Chicago in the North American Hockey League, I uh, I, I worked in the mornings as a runner at the, at the Chicago Board of Trade. That was back when it was like the Ferris Bueller's Day, the open cry system. So I would <laughs> I would take a train at like, I'd wake up at 4.30 in, in the morning and take a train downtown, uh, run into the uh, run into the trading floor, work a day there, and then come back in the afternoon, take a nap on the train and, and run to practice in the afternoon. And so I had a good year of, uh, of hockey out in Chicago. And, and so that kind of sparked my interest in the economic and financial world, uh, just working down there. George, something that's always intrigued me is the, is the, all the different facets of, of who you are, your economics degree at Princeton, uh, your background, the fact that you grew up in, in Morristown, New Jersey which is, you know, hasn't always been a hockey hotbed, but you grew up there just for our audience's sake. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Obviously you're 6'5", 220 pounds back then when you're coming in the league, you're looking at power forwards in the NHL guys like, you know, the Eric Lindros and, and stuff like that. How quickly did you come to, to learn that what was going to be the expectation of you at the NHL level was going to be different than it was at Princeton because at Princeton, there was no fighting. There was no fighting allowed in, in college hockey at all. So this is a major transition for you. What was that transition like? Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I, there was, like you said, there's no fighting for me, uh, growing up in, in uh, and, and USA hockey and, and youth hockey in, in the States, um, and any level that I had played up until that point. So it was never really a consideration for me. I, I appreciated the the kind of power forward game, as you said, guys like uh, Yager and Tuckett and Stevens and, and, and players like that. So, and I was a big frame. So I liked, I liked the physical side of the game. So I like to hit and, and be physical and go to the front and that type of type of thing. So um, for me, that appealed to me. And um, by the time I had actually started to realize that I might be able to make a run at professional hockey, 
Um, it was about doing whatever you could to get him onto a, onto a team and onto a roster and everything else. So I figured if uh, if I could add that element to my game where I was fighting a bit that, that was desirable for teams. And uh, for me, I just started to – I figured I'd rather learn how to fight as early as I could because if I was big and going to be making hits the way I like to, then someone was certainly going to be coming knocking on my door and I didn't want to be ill-prepared. So you try to cut your teeth as soon as you can before you start really facing guys who knew what they were doing. And, and that's kind of how it started for me in, in the rookie camps out in uh, in California when I was drafted. When you and I were working together at TSN, you told us some great stories about how you actually learned because you were never a fighter. That just was never part. That was never in your arsenal. It wasn't nothing like, well, you know, I know how to fight. You didn't. You had no clue how to fight. So how did you make that transition to be ready to to be able to deliver what they were looking for you in the NHL? Yeah, again, so I um, I like to hit. I like phys- being physical. And when I went out to these development camps and, and with the Kings after I was drafted, we'd had they had all their draft picks out there in the summertime and training, and we'd play you know rookie tournaments and things like that. And um, you know there's a lot of kids who are either younger or just starting their careers as well. But you, you knew that there's guys there that that had fought a lot already, and uh, and so I figured. Uh, you know, playing the game I'd like to play, I'd better learn how to defend myself. And so it was more from a defensive standpoint at first. Uh, and again, if I had if I had advanced my professional career the way I'd want to, then I'd probably have to learn how to fight actually in the NHL against guys who had been doing it for much longer. And I'd, I'd prefer to learn and I'm in a quote-unquote safer environment or at least a more an environment where I was more on even footing as far as experience was concerned. So I started to take on a fight or two and, and play the game, play that style of game in those summer times and out in uh, rookie training camps. What was that like for you psychologically where you're like, yeah, like anytime a guy makes a step into the NHL, there's different things that your coaches are asking for. I mean, uh, it's really common for a guy who was a great, great scorer in junior or in college hockey. All of a sudden he comes up to the end and the coach says, yeah, man, but I need you how to, I need to, I, I need you here on the third line. I need you here to be a checker. You were a center. Now I need you to be a winger. There's always that transition when you make that jump. What's that like for you as a player when you say, I need to change the way I play in order to stick here? I suppose it wasn't about changing the way I played, but kind of adding another tool because, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a first round draft pick. I was an eighth round draft pick. I never thought I'd be playing hockey after high school. Uh, You know, like you said, New Jersey, wasn't the hockey hotbed for, uh, for talent in the area. So, um, for me, uh, I figured if, if I made it this far and, uh, and was a good enough player to make it this far, uh, and if I wanted to stand out, then being able to fight as well as play the game that I could play that I knew, knew I could play, uh, then that could only help me and help me to get on a roster quicker. And, uh, it ended up working that way. And you never really know what kind of fighter you are, if you can handle it until you actually get in a fight or two. And, uh, there's a steep learning curve for sure, uh, and it takes a while to get comfortable. And the, I'm not sure if you ever get comfortable, but at the same time, uh, you know, you have to learn right away. And the only the only way you can find out if you can handle it is if if you have go out and do it. So I had some early successes, I guess I'd say, and 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 got my feet underneath me and uh, was able to you know start my career uh, with that extra extra tool in my belt, like I say. Something I find really interesting is, um, you know, we all in hockey celebrate the goals and the spectacular saves. But what, what we also celebrate is when a teammate steps up for you, when 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 somebody comes, you know, 
comes at one of your your goal scorers and, and takes a run at him, and then a, a player like yourself during your career steps up and says, "No, you can't do that." What what does that do in terms of a bonding effect, and and getting your teammates to rally around you because they know what George and his peers are doing is stuff to to stick up for us, to defend us, to be there for us. There are very few things in the game that show how much you support your guy than when you're willing to step up and do this kind of stuff. What's that like for you when you go through those kind of scenarios? Hockey is a physical game and it's a quick game and a fast game and uh, a lot can happen out there. And if you can do something to make sure your teammates know that they're feeling comfortable out there and can play the game they wanted to do, that was kind of the idea. But obviously you want to, you want to stand up for your teammates. If you feel like there was something that was uh, done over the line, then it's nice to have people that can, you know, kind of, step in and 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 protect your guys and 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 they can feel good about that it's uh i think teams are built from the locker room out and uh and that's a big part of it knowing that you know knowing who you're going into battle with there's uh you know 23 guys that you're you're stepping on that ice with every night uh, or go through the season with and uh it's a big important part of uh you know team building and just uh having a different different types of characters and elements uh to a team that can make it stronger you got drafted. We mentioned you got drafted by the LA Kings. You had almost literally a cup of coffee with Colorado, <laughs> but then you got moved to Anaheim. Your timing could not have been better. <laughs> Hockey fans will remember the 06. You got traded there in, uh, I think it was November of 06, and we all know how 07 finished for the Ducks. What was that season like for you to be a part of that? That was a wild ride because uh... – Again, I played my first year in the NHL having having uh, played in the minors for two years. There was a lockout year, so the minors was actually a great year that 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 one year uh, where it was the only game in town. Uh, but coming out of that, you know, I was really excited to have made the, the Kings uh, opening night roster and play that whole year, my first season in the NHL. Uh, and then to go from that uh, where they went through a reorganization and coaching and GM change and I got put on waivers after the season where I felt I had a pretty good season was uh, pretty disheartening. And like you said, I got picked up on waivers by Colorado uh, and was there and played two games. I showed up. I was injured from camp and uh, not feeling great about my game because of the way that things had gone. And um, I ended up uh, recovering and playing two games there and uh, getting called into uh, the GM's uh, office, Jaguar Jier, Jier, there. Um, and and I thought I was going being sent down. Uh because uh, I'd, I'd been told by my agent at the time it wasn't possible to be traded after you've been picked up on waivers, and uh, it wasn't the case. I, I, I show up, and he's like, uh, he said, well, you were trading me to, back to Anaheim, back to California. Uh, and it was uh, a roller coaster of emotions because, you know, thinking that you weren't wanted by one team, you picked up, you were hurt, and, and you know, trying to fit in somewhere new, and then all of a sudden you're on the move again. Uh, but to go back to Anaheim uh, on a team that was already on a, a really good start, uh, and obviously had a undeniable talented locker room was uh was something incredible and certainly you know turned that into one heck of a season and so I went from the basement to the penthouse that you know emotionally that in a short short time frame that season but uh it worked out really well obviously what's it like to be on a ride like that George where you're going through the season and there's success in the season but you always know the postseason's a completely different story. You never know what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden you start that march. What's that like in the room to be a part of something like that where you're starting to think, man, we could have something really special here? I, I said it earlier. I think that, you know, 
you get a certain feel for locker rooms and the, and the, and the type of personalities you have and, and how well the guys are kind of bonded and, and how well they can be their potential. Uh, and that, you know, you can have all the talented guys in the world. If it's a disjointed locker room that can, that can affect things. Uh, and I really liked our team in, in LA. We had a really tough year um, and a lot of things to kind of battle through, but there's some good characters in there. It was a sad sad organization to leave as I'd been drafted by them and spent a lot of years out there training. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't mind the makeup of that, that team from afar. Um, but obviously winning wasn't in the cards that season or maybe in, in the near future there. Having gone to Colorado, um, that was a really tight locker room too. I, I went in there, they welcomed me with open arms. Uh, Joe Sackick was on the team and one of the first guys that came up and welcomed me and, um, and it was obviously a lot of talent with that team as well. And just had a good feeling there. So I was really excited because it just seemed like another good fit, like a good group of guys. Uh, and then I, I as you said, there's, there's a cup of coffee and the bandaid was ripped off pretty quickly. So I didn't have a, a ton of time to really mesh there, but I had a good feeling about that team. And then when I got to Anaheim, uh, there was no doubt this was a team that had undeniable talents and, and there was no, in fighting, there's a good influx of young players that you kind of need these days to have like outstanding seasons with Getzloff and Perry and Penner and guys like that. And uh, really just a, a fun, young kind of group with some really top end kind of older veteran talent with Niedermeyer and Solani and Pronger. And there's just a, a, an amazing mix of guys like from all ages, experience levels and everything else. But really, I think. Looking back, the, one of the most important things is it was a hungry group because the only guy who would won a cup at that point was uh, Scott Niedermeyer in New Jersey. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, Hey, dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast. 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The Overtime Podcast is proud to partner with Athletes Care, the preferred sports medicine clinic for legends in hockey and all other sports. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating our 25th year offering sports medicine services in downtown Toronto. In addition to physiotherapy, our service offerings include massage therapy, chiropractic care, medical acupuncture, orthotics, and orthopedic bracing. The Athletes Care team consists of the best sports medicine doctors and specialists that have been responsible for the treatment of athletes at the highest levels of competition, including athletes from the Olympics, the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. When you need rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain, go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa. What's it like when you get your hands on the cup for the very first time? <laughs> That's light. <laughs> uh, I, actually, it's a, it's a bit nerve wracking because uh, there was confetti all over the ice, and, and and I was really concerned about falling down when, when holding the cup. You don't want to be that guy. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit nerve wracking too. Would, uh, something I thought I thought was great, and I don't remember the actual year where this transition happened. And I've been really, really lucky enough to cover hockey for, like I say. 40 years or so now. And I don't remember when the transition happened, but I was there for your guys' celebration on the ice and talking to you guys after the wins. And 
as excited as I was for you guys as individual, the thing that really just kind of ripped at my heartstrings was watching family uh, celebrate on the ice. What was that? What was that aspect of it like for you to get to that point? Um, uh, it meant everything, uh, you know, uh, to share it with family and have them down on the ice and, and, and bring them along with you. I mean, uh, in the hockey world, you don't go down and in, into the locker room. You don't have people come through. It's a pretty private and serious place. It's not in you know, baseball, uh, having been around some of that, you know, they, they have so many games in the road so often the families are, uh, quite intermeshed in kind of the daily you know, ins and outs um, in the hockey world, you know, the hockey, the locker rooms, uh, that's where you do all your uh, hard work and blood, sweat and tears. And, um, and then to be able to kind of break that barrier and have your family come down the ice with you and spend those moments uh, after you, you know, pass the cup around with your teammates was pretty incredible. I had, uh, I was just dating uh, my wife at the time and she was there, which is fantastic to have her in those memories. And I had a my first little nephew was born uh, months before, and so we had him sitting in the cup, and uh, my parents were there. And uh, I, as soon as I lifted the cup, when he asked me, what's it like touching the cup for the first time, I, I skated directly over the corner where I knew they were and and hoisted up for them. So really, really special. That is special. That's it. You're a Stanley Cup champion, man. No one ever gets to take that away from you. That's, that's, that's right. an amazing thing. Um, I've had some of your teammates on that team on this show before, and, and they kind of – everybody's got – a different perspective of what that moment was like. I've also talked to a lot of guys who who spent a large portion of their careers playing in the state of California. Uh, Patty Marlowe tells the stories and Joey Thornton talks about the surfer dude, the whole lifestyle and stuff. What was it like to be, give me your perspective on being, you were in Hermosa Beach, California. Like it's a total surf town and you're a hockey player at the world's highest level. Like in Canada, we're just like, okay, you're freezing your butt off. It's really dark and cold when you go to practice, and it's dark and cold when you come home from your games because the sun goes down so early. California, it's a whole different deal. What was that like being a pro hockey player in California at that time? Um, well, you know, I, I guess I did. I played played a couple years in Manchester, and it wasn't quite like that. But I yeah known the Southern California lifestyle and then, and had grown quite fond of it. And, uh, I really, in the NHL hadn't really known anything else, uh, uh, from an early standpoint, but, uh, there's something to be said for, for walking out of the rink and, and shorts and flip-flops and having the sunshine on you, it just puts you in a different state mentally, like a hundred percent, no matter what happens on the ice, if it was a tough, tough string of losses or whatever the case might be. Uh, the sun was shining literally. So uh, it, it affects the mood for sure. And it's a, it's a, it's a good lifestyle, a lot of you know, healthy people and, and energy and activity and, and, and a great place to live. Yeah. Um, I want to get to uh, a difficult moment for you, uh, a difficult morning moment for hockey fans to watch too, is as your career is now winding up, you've accomplished so much. There's been so much success. Um, your last season in the NHL, you were playing with the Habs. It was 2013. Opening night, uh, you got into a tussle with Colton Orr. For our audience that may not recall that, walk us through how that all kind of played itself out and what happened and what your memories are of that moment. Uh, well, I was excited. I'd been been traded. Uh, I signed a contract with Florida for two years and had been traded that summer after the first year up to Montreal. And I was 
really excited because uh, I'd known the GM, Mark Bergevin at the time. And, um, you know, going to play for an original six team was something that generated a lot of excitement for me personally. And um, uh, unfortunately, at the end of the season prior, I'd hurt my shoulder and had shoulder surgery uh, and um, put it off for a little while, hoping to rehab it. Didn't work. And so by the time I got out of surgery and then found out I was traded, the first thing I did was take a look at the schedule because I know that in Montreal they were looking to have a guy like me to add some add some uh, physicality to the lineup and, and kind of the, the city seemed like it was ready for that type of player. And I was really excited to fill that role and and uh, join that team. They had a lot of talent there. Uh, and I'd circled the calendar because I saw that right away their, their opening night was against their, their rival in, in Toronto. And so... I knew that meant Colt Moore as well. So I uh, I rehabbed as quickly and as best as I could and and made sure that I could I didn't even uh, play or skate in that preseason, uh, just trying to to get the shoulder back and ready to go. And uh took the ice and it, it was good. I fought him once uh, already in that game. Uh, and then later on we we locked horns again. Uh, unfortunately, I kind of overswung and he his balance had brought him down and and I, I went down with him and, and hit my chin on the ice there. And uh, I don't remember much other than waking up and looking at the rafters of the building, which is, you know, something that you don't want to, you don't want to do. You want to see that as being the first thing you remember. So I was on the stretcher and kind of taken off. But at that point I was, uh, I was aware and, and felt fine and everything like that. Um, uh, but obviously not the way you want to start out your career in a new city and, and for a new team. How are you feeling physically now? I, I, I always, it's always important to me, you know, my conversations with Chris Pronger, the the noted battles that he went through with health and stuff. Um, you you played the game of hockey in a very difficult way that that brought with it some challenges. How are you physically now? Yeah, no, I, f- I feel I feel good. Thank you. Um, you know, we all have things we get through, and uh, you know, I I always worried about my hands and my eyes and different things like that. I've had you know certain injuries over the course of my career, but. Uh, so far, it's been good. I've, um, you know, fortunately uh, had a great career here working for the NHL. And, um, and you know, it's it's great to be still in the game and focused on something. And, uh, you know, for, as far as my faculties are, you know, there's been no repercussions from and uh, so far any anything that would really stand out. That's good. What What's your take on, on fighting the game? I mean, you know, when I started watching, I'm a little older than you, just maybe a year or two older than you. <laughs> when I started watching the game of hockey, there were multiple fights in every game. It was just a part of the game. And if there wasn't a fight, I remember the stats were crazy at one point. It was fights per game. It wasn't, you know, because there was that much. Yeah. Then we went the other way where we said we got to get this completely out of the game. And now we've got the instigator rule what what is your comfort level with where we are right now and how we treat fights in the game of hockey right now and is there something we should be doing differently um you know at the moment i think i think the game is in a great spot i think it's as as good as it's ever been it's as high high paced and fast and uh safe as it's ever been as, as from that standpoint uh, there's fighting is still an element that happens um you know as we know it's a lot it's down quite a bit I think for the most part they happen uh, maybe at an appropriate time. There's not the the fights that you used to see that I took part in a lot, which were kind of off face-offs and for not much other reason than to drum up some emotions or, or momentum, et cetera. I think it's in a good spot. Um, you know, where, where we go from here, I'm not quite sure, but um, you know, I think it's something that is not the focus right now. The focus is on, is on these great players we have and the speed of the game and the skill of the game. Um, 
I think fighting has has really taken a backseat, if if for no other reason than uh, the salary cap and putting uh, such a weighted importance on every roster spot, and and GM is noticing that you can't have uh, you know someone who's you know quote unquote one dimensional or, or not not uh, up to up to par to fill those spots. Uh, every 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 spot in the lineup is now getting much more minutes. Is that much more important? And you have to squeeze that all. Uh, into a certain number dollar amount uh, for the for the salaries and um, and it, it became difficult and, and you you saw which way the the teams are leaning as far as you know personnel choices are being made. Wow, that's a really wise way of saying it, man. You are a smart guy. Like, it just it's just I'm all fooled. It, it freaks me the like how how bright you are. I mean, you're not Joey Juno, who was lit- quite literally a graduate uh, of rocket science. Yep. He literally was so, yep. but uh, you were voted the fourth smartest professional athlete by the sporting news in 2010. That was well, pretty freaking impressive. Was that a, a career milestone for you? <laughs> you don't want me building a rocket if you're going to be on it. Trust me. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I get that. You and uh, Elon Musk. So okay. after your career is done, you're a Princeton grad. You've gone through a very physical career. You've got the inside outs and that sporting news calls you one of the four four smartest. And then the NHL makes a very smart move and they say, you know what? We got to get freaking George Peros into our head office here. And they make you a senior VP, which did, did you envision that as something that one day could happen where you would be working in an NHL office a, and then B specifically in player discipline. Was that ever anything that, like, how did that actually come about? Um, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, just because I went to college or even a good college, uh, you know, still doesn't prepare uh, any anyone for, for what's to come after a professional career. Um, I think more than anything, it just made me aware that, you know, this is going to be a short-lived portion of my life and we need to think about what's next. And even with the knowledge of knowing that and, and doing what you can before you retire to prepare for that, there's still – you know, nothing like, you know, retiring and then looking for, for the next step. And so um, I tried to, you know, make as many bridges as I could while I played and and thought that I would, you know, work with a team when I was done and maybe scouting and get into management, which is, you know, kind of what the goal was. Um, and uh, I had been introduced to Stefan Cantel uh, shortly after retiring and uh, had some conversations with him who was running the department after Shanahan, of course. And, uh, and that really became something that, you know, I, I hadn't considered at the time, but um, certainly seemed interesting to me. Uh, you know, given the fact you're, you're still able to play and you know, stay involved in the sport, in the sport you love, but um, kind of a different, different uh, path or different angle. I don't think guys consider this or hadn't at least at the time it was still kind of in the early stages of the department. But for me that I took pleasure and, an interest in the fact that you're, you know, I used to quote unquote protect 20 guys in my team and I'm protecting, you know, 750 guys or 800 guys a season. So uh, there's definitely some interest there. And and as I went through uh, my contact list and Rolodex, uh, seeing what I could, what I could get into, uh, uh, it, um, it was something that I, I gained more and more interest in and kind of stayed on Stefan and uh, kept texting him and wouldn't let him go. And he, he finally hired me after a, uh, a year and a half or so of hounding him down. <laughs> Did you know what you're getting into though? Cause I, I it's funny cause I talked to so many retired players who were like, you know, it was nice to finally get out of the spotlight because everywhere I went, people either loved you or they hated you. 
either you played for their team or you played against their team and they hated you. And now you go into retirement and we're in a position where, again, you definitely set yourself out there. People are going to love you because of the call you made or they're going to hate you. Are, <laughs> are you still facing that right now? I was not quite prepared for, you know, all the things that were entailed with this job and uh, and certainly taking over the department Stefan stepped aside after after one year for me when I was there. And so uh, it was a pretty quick ascension for me. And uh, there were some things that I wasn't quite exactly ready for or expected. Uh, you know, I was a pretty likable guy, I think, and played a pretty honest game. And I didn't have a ton of enemies out there per se, but uh, obviously this is uh this job is uh, is is quite challenging, and and part of that challenge is is uh, you know making decisions that aren't always uh, popular in, in one population or another, and, and that's to credit our, our wonderfully uh, our wonderfully passionate fan base. It's just there's just no way around it. It's going to happen. So uh, you know uh, dealing with that has been an interesting aspect of this job, I suppose, over the years. But I've been doing it for quite a while now, and uh, you know there's a comfort level there that might not have been there the first couple weeks or months. And doing it well, though, because you've got just as many people who love you as hate you. So you must be doing a good job right down the middle. <laughs> if you find the ones that love me, let me know. <laughs> no, they're they're much quieter. George, it's been so great catching up with you. I want to play five fast facts with you. OK, you want to do that? Sure. The little feature where we have it. I just, you know, want to get your quick thoughts on this. All right. Time now for five fast facts with Stanley Cup champion George Perils. The best teammate you ever played with. Who was that? Uh, I got to be Tim Solani. Uh most positive, uh, obviously highly skilled, but uh, incredible human. Uh, I learned uh, from him that I can't walk past a fan without signing something. Here's a here's a Hall of Famer uh, who's 40 plus years old working out after games with heavy weights and then going and spending an hour signing autographs for every single person that would that would wait. So he was an incredible role, role model influence for sure. A real legend. Who was the best coach you ever played for? Um, I I love Bruce Boudreaux. I had him in the minors, and he uh, he gave me a lot of playing time. So for, for no other reason, <laughs> I loved his positivity, and uh, he had the foresight back then to get me on the ice anyway. <laughs> yeah, we've had him in the studio. He's freaking hilarious. He's yeah. got such a great sense of humor. Who did you hate playing against the most and why? Uh, teams or person or something? Person. Um. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, who did I? No one jumps out. Uh, you know, I I I think I'm just going to go back to teams like uh, I hated but loved playing San Jose. Uh, they had a real physical team as well, and they're in our division, and uh, that was a really kind of loud and tough place to play. Quite honestly, for a while, we had some real battles with them, uh, and so I'll just I'll just go with the team aspect. Person, I don't know. I, I wouldn't single anybody out as, as hating to play against them. There's, a lot of, a lot of very diplomatic of you. Good, yeah, yeah. good political response. I appreciate that. What was your favorite city to play in? Uh, it was always fun going back to uh, New York. I grew up in New Jersey. Playing in the Garden was uh, quite a thrill. Uh, and then Nashville was uh, was a fun stop on tour as well. Excellent. George, it's been so amazing getting getting back together with you. I really, really appreciate this. And we got to have a brief comment about your mustache before you bail. It's always been legendary. I love what your wife, uh, Tiffany, she was in a reality TV show, Hockey Wives. And this is her quote. Oh, uh, it's saying, ask what, what she liked about you the most. 
I don't think you can tell me, I don't think you want to call me superficial, but I definitely married George for his looks. <laughs> well, that's amazing, actually. Can you send that? To- <laughs> you I, have to that remind, to- I have to remind her of that. <laughs> and a big part of those looks is your stash, brother. And you've made a ton of cash for charity because of your stash and for your hair as well. People know about what you've done for Movember, but tell us about Locks of Love. Um, yeah, I used to, uh, I used to grow the hair out when I was playing and, uh, and would grow it out all season long and then have a big haircutting event. Um, we, uh, we would get as, as many fans as, as would want to come out and, uh, donate their own hair alongside of me, uh, and send it off to the childhood leukemia foundation. And, um, uh, they would make the wigs there. It wasn't locks of love, but, uh, CLF for kids, uh, really great organization that, that was hands-on with, with making the, the hair and, and putting it to good use. Uh, it, it, honestly, those are some of my, my favorite times. Cause, uh, uh, you see little kids with long hair who are cutting their hair to help out other little kids. And some of those stories were just really touching and, and a great way to kind of get involved in the community and, and, and reach out with the fans in a different manner. So, Great times for sure. I wish my hair grew out the way it used to. And I'm not, I'm not sure that's the case anymore, but uh, it was a, a proud thing for me to do uh, during my career and good good times. And it's a great way to wrap this up. George has been great visiting with you. You're a good man. You got a great heart. The stuff you've done uh, for charities, it's immeasurable. And uh, really appreciated catching up with you, buddy. I'm glad things are going so well with you. We get a chance to visit when we're at the GMs and the Board of Governors meetings. And I look forward to the next time we get together, my friend. Thank you for this. You know, thank you, sir. Look forward to seeing you. Uh, former NHLer George Perrell, Stanley Cup champion, and now senior VP with the National Hockey League. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven and Athletes Care. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot premium pizza and wings, a pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, local bread from the 7 Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating their 25th year offering sports medicine services to both elite athletes and the general population will require rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain. Go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, iTunes Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say... Hey, dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The Overtime Podcast is proud to partner with Athletes Care, the preferred sports medicine clinic for legends in hockey and all other sports. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating our 25th year offering sports medicine services in downtown Toronto. 
In addition to physiotherapy, our service offerings include massage therapy, chiropractic care, medical acupuncture, orthotics, and orthopedic bracing. The Athletes Care team consists of the best sports medicine doctors and specialists that have been responsible for the treatment of athletes at the highest levels of competition, including athletes from the Olympics, the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. When you need rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain, go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa.